is America on the Road, winner of the International Auto Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio and now in its 25th year on the air. And this is a very special episode of America on the Road. There's big news this week at America on the Road. We have just entered into an agreement with the SportsMap Radio Network to carry our show. And our first broadcast for the network will be on August 14th. So look for that show on a radio station near you. Of course, we will continue to podcast as well each week, as we have been doing. And we thank you very much for being loyal listeners to America on the Road. This is going to change a little bit the timing when we post the show. We will change the posting time from Friday, as has been typical up till now, to Mondays moving forward. So look for that. But we will still be doing a weekly podcast. And we're so thankful that you listen to America on the Road. That's very, very important to us. As we prepare for our network debut here, this is one of our favorite past shows. I think you'll enjoy this particular show and join us again for new shows starting next week. And again, we're excited to be on the SportsMap radio network starting on August 14th. So join us for that as well. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. And now with all that said, here is that previous episode of America on the Road. This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 24th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. A major automaker has just announced an electric full-size pickup truck, and we'll give you the details on that. Uh, this is also our 50th show, our 50th podcast, so uh, that's exciting for us at America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Well, as I say, I'm Jack Nerad. I don't know that I said that, but I am Jack Nerad, and with me is co-host Chris Teague, and uh, this is our 50th podcast, and uh, so congratulations on that, Chris. Thanks, Jack. It certainly doesn't feel like 50. I guess time flies when you're uh, having fun. At yeah. least I hope we are. Yeah, we're having fun, and I hope the listeners are having fun, too. That's part of the part of the game here. Chris is based in Maine. He writes for DrivingToday.com, Ford Authority, Forbes.com, all of those things. Uh, and uh, how are things in Maine today? Things are turning green, but slowly. So we're, we're edging into spring. The weather's nice. The eagles in my backyard are out fishing, so it's a good, a good day. Yeah, that's interesting uh, to have eagles in your backyard. That's uh, super, super cool. I would uh, probably want to mention that, uh, and I don't know that I do this every time, but in the opening, that I'm the author of a couple of books, including The Complete Idiot's Guide to Buying or Leasing a Car and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Hybrid and Alternative Fuel Vehicles. I wrote those several years ago. And uh, my most recent book is The GR Factor, Unleashing the Undeniable Power of the Golden Rule. So I'm an author, among other things, and also a car reporter from uh, way, way back, uh, including editor of Motor Trend. So that's a little background on me, uh, in case you're wondering. And uh, maybe even Chris is wondering, like, what am I doing with this guy? Uh, in any case, this week our special guest is Jim Owens. He is the chief marketing officer on the Ford Mustang. Uh, we've had him on the show before. He's very excited about the new Mach 1 version of the Mustang uh, that I had a chance to drive recently up at Willow Springs International Raceway in Rosamond, California. 
kind of an interesting moniker on that racetrack, too. Uh, we can talk about that. But we'll chat with him. In the road test segment, Chris is taking a detailed look at the 2021 BMW 540i. You're, you're styling these days. You've had, a, I think, a succession of uh, pretty hot cars. Yeah, it's been quite enjoyable for all of us here, uh, including the, the parents at the drop-off line in my kids' school. They always love to see what I'm pulling up in. Ah, very neat. Yes, that's true. And I remember those drop-off lines, too, very fondly. <laughs> it goes by quick, so uh, enjoy it. I'll be talking about a car that uh, all auto journalists seem to love. That's because it's a station wagon. It's a hot station wagon, actually. It is the 2021 Volvo V60 T8 Polestar. It's just... Uh, one of those things that you kind of fall in love with as an auto journalist. Uh, I'm not sure whether, and, and maybe the uh, general public likes it too. Uh, hard to say. Uh, but we'll talk about that in the next segment. In the news segment, we alluded to this a little earlier, uh, Chevrolet has confirmed it's going to build an electric-powered Silverado. And so they're joining the electric pickup truck sweepstakes and there are a lot of, a lot of people uh, buying lottery tickets in that one. Uh, Ford has announced they're going to have a, an electric uh, F-150 full-size pickup truck. Of course, we have seen the Tesla Motors Cybertruck. And then there are startups, Rivian and Canoe among, among them, that are going to put uh, electric pickup trucks out, uh, pickup trucks out there. Uh, what's your take on all this, Chris? I think the, so first of all, the EV, the electric powertrains, they, they're really interesting. The, the, the compelling amount of torque, uh, the power that's there, and then the fact that they could do that completely silently, um, I think is going to be a really big uh, thing for the truck world. Probably you could call it a game changer. That's probably an understatement. But you know, I think it'll be really interesting to see how they manage uh, the power with range. You know, I think the Silverado EV Chevy promised up to 400 miles of range. Uh, what's that truck going to do while it's pulling a trailer across the country? I think that's going to be the big test for me, and I think a lot of consumers, too. Absolutely true, and uh, we'll talk a bit about that, uh, I think, coming up. Uh, GM President Mark Royce was the one who announced all this. He said that the uh, Silverado pickup truck will be built at the company's Factory Zero assembly plant. That's in Detroit and Hamtramck. I don't know how a plant can be in two cities, but I guess it is. Uh, it must be a big plant. Uh, the company is going to invest as much as $7 billion in its effort to pivot from large internal combustion engine trucks to uh, things like this electric pickup truck. And it's a, GM says this is a ground-up pickup truck design. It's not just a retrofitted Silverado, which is interesting, I guess. Uh, and it will be built beside the GMC Hummer EV pickup. That kind of makes sense. It's going to be built in the same plant. So uh, I don't know whether there was an internal battle at, at General Motors as to whether Chevrolet brand would also get a, an EV pickup truck at the same time of GMC or how that all sorts out. But uh, you know, that's yet to be determined. All of this will use GM's Ult Ultium Drive technology. I think we talked about that on a show probably months and months ago. Uh, it's a essentially kind of an erector set of uh, components that uh, GM can assemble various ways to put together all kinds of different electric vehicles. And that seems like the smart way to do it, doesn't it, Chris? It does. And if you, it's really kind of funny that we're talking about this because I was looking at uh, the kind of GM of the 80s and 90s where you know they put out several vehicles 
that are extremely similar to each other, but with different badges on them and different, slightly different bodies. And I think this is sort of the the next, the future forward sort of version of that badge engineering, which I love. I'm all for it. Yeah, it's certainly efficient. And if you have the right, and they, I think they're t- typically calling them roller skates now because it, it goes under something. It's like those old roller skates. You might, you might not even remember these, Chris, but we used to have roller skates that clamped onto our shoes. Do you ever remember seeing anything like that? <laughs> no, we were well into speed skates by the time I, I hit the rinks, I think in the, the late 80s. So. Yeah. Well, we had these roller skates that would clamp onto our shoes, and that shows you what kind of shoes we were wearing. It wouldn't clamp too well onto, onto gym shoes or uh, sneakers or anything like that. But uh, if you have that bottom base that drives everything, you can put anything you want on top of it. Uh, you can put a pickup truck body or a sports car body or whatever, and you can mix and match uh, the electric po- uh, powertrains to give you all-wheel drive if you want, front drive if you want, or rear drive. So it's kind of fun, and uh, I, I'd love to play with that myself. You alluded to something that I think is really smart, Chris, and that's the fact that uh, range is going to be important. They talk about 400 miles of range, but one of the things they also talked about was the fact that there will be fleet versions, and I think that's a giant opportunity for electric pickup trucks uh, to operate in fleet use and commercial use. Uh, what's your take on that? I think it's a great way to fund development of future consumer vehicles, too, if you look at it from that perspective. I mean, uh, Lordstown, given all their troubles, that was their focus point, probably still is their focus point. But I think it's a smart way to get to get started and sell a bunch of vehicles really quick so you can you know, fund, like I said, development of other more uh, consumer-oriented cars, trucks, SUVs, hopefully minivans, and all sorts of things like that. Right. A cool thing, too, about fleet use is um, just the way they're financed and the way they're used. I mean, a lot of uh, fleet vehicles will come back to a particular location and can be charged overnight and then off they go again. Uh, That's perfect for an electric vehicle. And I guess that's why they used electric uh, taxis in London in 1880 or 1890. Uh, And it kind of uh, is still the same today. Yeah. And I think there is some well, beyond the fuel benefit, the the maintenance, maybe the reduce the reduction in overall maintenance for the fleet's going to be a big selling point for some of these guys. But you know, that's millions of dollars in fuel that some of these companies, large companies, are putting out. Uh, you know, our, our even our small local power company has a fleet of probably a hundred Silverados, some of which have been outfitted, you know, heavy duty with bucket trucks and everything else. I can't wait for them to make that. That shift, it'll be really interesting to see. It will be fascinating. So uh, I guess this has really dominated the news and the news segment for us uh, uh, for this edition of America on the Road. So when we come back, we're going to be doing some road testing and some pretty cool cars. We shall road test the BMW 540i and the Volvo V60 T8 Polestar. So uh, I think I think it's actually the 2021 Volvo V60 T8 Polestar Recharge these days. And we'll tell you why it says that. So stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nerad with you. And you're listening to America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague. Jack Nerad back with you. And it is road test time. And we've got cool cars to road test. I mean, a BMW and a, a Volvo V60, a uh, what a, an embarrassment of riches we had this week. Uh, Chris, tell us all about this uh, BMW 540i that uh, graced your driveway. 
I agree on the embarrassment of riches. Uh, this is a 2021 uh, BMW 540i. This is an X-Drive model, so it's all-wheel drive. I think the standard configuration is rear-wheel drive. Uh, price is tested right at uh, $80,000, just a little bit less than eighty. The car's base price is around 62000 so if that gives you some indication of how well-equipped this vehicle was. Uh, the car is powered by a 3-liter uh, inline-six. It's turbocharged and has a 48-volt mild hybrid or 48-volt generator paired with an 8-speed automatic transmission. It puts down 335 horsepower and 332 pound-feet of torque, which not all that long ago were sports car numbers and you know the, the zero to 60 on this car is supposed to be somewhere around four seconds but i'm going to make the point because this is going to drive the rest of my review here is that this car is effortless to drive it's an extremely smooth cruising car and the power is almost an afterthought although it can produce some pretty good numbers in that department uh so while i would consider it you know maybe a sports sedan i think its purpose is a lot deeper than that what do you think about the big five series jack I have loved the 5 Series since forever. I mean, dating back to when I first got in this business many, many years ago, decades ago, uh, I've always thought the 5 Series is one of the, the best sedans of any type uh, out there, even better I, to me than uh, some of the larger ones like the 7 Series or you know the S-Class from uh, Mercedes-Benz. I'm just partial to that vehicle. Yeah, you know, I, I totally agree. This is not a, a small car at all. It's got a 117.1-inch wheelbase and is almost 200 inches long overall. But the way that the car just shrinks around you and makes it feel, it's a cocoon almost. Everything is very quiet inside. Even when you put your foot down, it's very muted. And I think that's part of the sort of serenity. You know, we talked about Lincoln and their interiors a few weeks ago. This is one of those that, that definitely sets the benchmark in that department. But uh, full of technology, two 12.3-inch screens, one for the gauge cluster and one for the infotainment uh, touchscreen. All sorts of safety technology, blind spot monitors, uh, adaptive cruise control, the whole, the whole shebang, as my grandmother would say. Heated and cooled seats in a beautiful chocolate leather. That is, a, I believe, a close to $2,000 option, uh, which if I bought the car, I would probably check because they were beautiful. Um, as I mentioned, very quick, but very smooth. Uh, you know, we're now coping with post-winter roads here in Maine where the plows have torn huge chunks out of uh, even my street here in the residential area of town. And the car just glides over them in comfort mode. There's really not a lot that gave it uh, much trouble. And even in Sport Sport Plus, you know, uh, I mentioned cruising, but even in Sport Plus mode, uh, things don't get too rough. Uh, the car's 19-inch wheels and, and the slim tires soaked up most of uh, the worst parts of the road, especially with the adaptive suspension. So plenty of room inside. We talked about, you know, this car being just as good as, if not better than the larger sedans. Uh, and I would say that unless you have an executive who needs to lie, lie down in the back seat, the 5 Series has plenty of room. Um, I'll skip over how tall I am for this segment, Jack. And I want to hear it. Uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> aren't you uh, like 6'6 six, six or something like that? I think no, you're an extremely so tall man. All right, so I'll go ahead and throw it in. At six feet tall, uh, I had plenty of room to move my seat back as far as I needed to without infringing on my eight-year-old's legroom directly behind me. She's still riding in a booster seat. She had plenty of room. And my four-year-old, who is still riding in a large uh, full-size car seat, it's not forward-facing, but still a very large car seat, she could reach the roof with her hands but had no trouble climbing in and getting out of her seat, uh, never bumping her head. 
And uh, I didn't get in my way at all, especially uh, in terms of visibility. So plenty of room, great visibility, uh, a smooth car all around. I wouldn't buy it for its speed, but it's absolutely a, a spectacularly fun thing to have in your back pocket when you want it. Um, but all around, just a very solid, smooth car. Well, I couldn't uh, disagree with any of that. I hope we're not running afoul of child labor laws, the, the fact that your kids are involved in the vehicle testing. I, I think that's probably okay. But uh, otherwise, I think uh, all is good, and uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, I don't think they're not quite getting, uh, they're not quite winning in this circumstance. I think they, uh, they have the best seat in the house. So uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone would complain about where they where they fit into the equation. Yeah, that sounds good. That doesn't really sound like child labor at all, does it? <laughs> well, I was driving a car, and I don't know whether this comes to you every now and then, Chris, but sometimes, and it's rare, actually, that I'll, I'll sit in one of these cars that we're testing, and I'll go, I'd really like to own this car. Uh, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll test a vehicle and I go, this is nice and I like it and this is, this is swell, but it's not necessarily for me, right? But when I was driving this Volvo V60, uh, especially in this form, which is the, uh, the um, Polestar T8 uh, recharge form, they decided to throw a bunch of different names at it. Uh, I'm like, boy, I could really live with this day in, day out. This is a great car. It's got high performance. It is a plug-in hybrid, so you have that going for you. Just, and it's got a lot of space. And of course, it is part of the auto journalist creed to love station wagons. I don't know why that is, but we do. Uh, and I subscribe to that. So this has all of those things going for it. It's got high performance, plug-in hybrid, so you have some electric-only range. They say up to 22 miles. I'm, I'm not sure that I ever saw anything near that uh, in terms of electric-only driving. But the transition from electric to the gasoline engine is so smooth, you really don't notice it. So maybe I was going 22 miles and didn't realize. I don't think so because uh, I'm a professional at this. But um, this is an all-wheel drive vehicle. And it has uh, a 415 horsepower total powertrain that has both a turbocharged and supercharged four-cylinder engine. Yes, Volvo does things their own way. Uh, and then it has electric motors uh, that power front and rear axles. So it's all-wheel drive. This will go from uh, zero to 60 in about four and a half seconds. So here's a station wagon that's hot. And I've always liked that whole idea. And it has a suspension to match. I mean, this is a, a vehicle that uh, you can really throw around, uh, that you really feel good about driving in an enthusiast manner, and yet um, you're not necessarily showing off, let's put it that way. You know, it's, it's kind of subtle in the way it, it handles really well and the way it accelerates. And, of course, then you've got the whole Volvo interior going for you. And I, I don't know about you, Chris, but... I've loved uh, Volvo interiors for years and years and years, and I think the uh, the V60 has a terrific interior. What do you think about Volvo interiors these days? I think they're excellent. You and I talked about this probably a month or two ago, where you know it's simple and it's not sparse, but it's very clean. And, and the V60, the V90, the larger sedans and wagons, they've made it such a pleasant place to be. You know, even in a performance-oriented model like the one you have, it's still extremely comfortable and a very very beautiful, I think. Yeah, very beautiful. And yet, in Polestar trim, 
the one, and I don't know whether I like this or not, but uh, my wife doesn't, so I'll, I'll put it out there. Uh, the seat belts are yellow. They're kind of like a, uh, a yellow you'd use to highlight something. <laughs> They're that yellow, right? And they really stand out in the interior, which is otherwise very unobtrusive and, and clean and, and good looking. And then you have the yellow seat belts. I mean, it expresses the fact that this is a different kind of V60. Get that? But I'm not sure that that's something I really love. On the other hand, it's a seatbelt. <laughs> you know, so, so what? So it has that going forward. Of course, Volvo seats are among the best. I think they're also the safest, but they're among the best in the business. They're just wonderfully adjustable and comfortable. So I love that. Uh, I love the seating position. I love the, the visibility I had. Pretty much liked darn near everything about this vehicle. There is the census infotainment system that takes some getting used to. You have to go into this system to do things like adjusting the climate control, say. And that takes some getting used to. It also, it, the, I could never find AM radio. The fact that I was searching for AM radio tells you something about how old I am uh, and maybe where I live. There's still AM radio stations here. But uh, other than that, you know, this is a super safe vehicle, handles beautifully, plenty of power. Uh, you can feel good about yourself because it's a plug-in hybrid and you can use uh, electric only. That's not much electric only range, but you have that going for you. If there's any fly in the ointment, it is, and I, maybe your grandmother would say that, it's, it's cost and it's about $70,000. So that's an awful lot for a midsize station wagon. But uh, given all this brings to the party, I think the Volvo V60 Polestar T8 Recharge is, uh, I, my voice broke, I was so excited, is one heck of a bargain. What's your take? I agree. They probably charge you $10,000 for every syllable in the name. Uh, but <laughs> in terms of premium vehicles, it's not that far out of line, not out of line at all, in fact, with the other ones. You know, the BMW I just talked about is $78,000, and one could argue that the Volvo is both more practical and better looking and, and may even perform better in some ways. So, um, you know, it's hard to call it a bargain at that price point, but I definitely don't think the price is out of line with what you're getting. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought up the fact that it uh, is very practical in terms of carrying stuff. It doesn't look from the outside like it would have a big cargo area. But when you open the tailgate, there is a lot of room in there. You can throw a lot of stuff in there, a lot of suitcases. I just took my wife to the airport yesterday and, and tested it out uh, that way. And I could have put probably six or eight other suitcases in there as well. So uh, all that going for it. As we said when we started the segment, an embarrassment of riches. The 540i from BMW, terrific vehicle. And the Volvo V60 T8 Polestar Recharge, another uh, terrific car. So uh, that's great stuff. And when we come back, we will be answering some listener questions for you. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, Jack Nerad with you, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nerad with you for listener question time. We love taking your listener questions. It's very easy to reach us with a listener question. Editor at drivingtoday.com. Editor at drivingtoday.com is where you would send that question. We'll answer it on an upcoming show. Answer it in an upcoming show. 
and we'd love to hear from you. If you just have a comment about the show, uh, please send it along. And, of course, if you like the show, please pass it along to uh, a friend of yours who you think might like it as well. We'd love to have them join us. Uh, so, And thanks so much for listening. And, Chris, I think you have a listener question for us, don't you? I do. It's on your favorite topic of car shopping. Uh, this one is on the topic of electrified powertrains. So they want to know which is better or which should they buy, a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid vehicle? It is a good question. And we had a plug-in hybrid uh, as one of our review vehicles, the uh, Volvo V60 T8 uh, Polestar Recharge. The recharge part uh, indicates it's a plug-in hybrid. So I had experience with that even just this week. My take on it is this. They've never really quite figured out how much range to put in, how much all-electric range to put in a plug-in hybrid. And I think if it has range of less than, say, 50 miles of all-electric, it kind of doesn't have any, you know, or it's kind of meaningless the amount of range it has. This uh, Volvo, and we just love the Volvo, and we talked about it just recently, uh, right before the break, about how much we loved it, had only 22 miles of all-electric range, and I just don't think that's enough. So given the fact that you pay a big premium for the plug-in, I would definitely figure out how much range it, it offered, also figure out how that worked into my own lifestyle. Am I commuting... 50 miles to work, or am I commuting 10 miles to work, or am I not commuting at all? Um, but I might lean toward the hybrid in this case. What's your your take, Chris? I agree. You know, plug-in hybrids, we talk a lot about electric vehicles and infrastructure. Plug-in hybrids, for me, you know, unless you have the ability to install a charging station at home or have one at your work or somewhere else, you're not going to get the full benefit. So uh, I'm all hybrid, uh, team hybrid for this. Yeah, one. I just think the uh, amount you pay in addition to what you would pay for a hybrid, and at the same time, I'm going to contradict myself in, in a way, because one of my favorite vehicles out there right now is a plug-in hybrid. It is the, uh, the Toyota RAV4 Prime plug-in hybrid. And I think I like it more more because it's the hottest RAV4 and one of the hottest vehicles in the Toyota lineup uh, because it has more than 300 horsepower combined uh, than anything else. But uh, I think in that instance, the plug-in is almost incidental to the fact that you have all this horsepower. How do you feel about that? I agree. But if you want someone to buy a vehicle like this, a, a so-called greener vehicle, that's a great way to do it. You know, the, the RAV4 Prime is the most fun RAV4, the quickest RAV4, however you want to define it. But, um, yeah, it's a great way to get people on board. Oh, very good. So I think we've maybe helped people. I think uh, we're leaning toward buying a hybrid and, and saving that uh, additional money you'd pay for a plug-in hybrid and uh, go from there. So that, that would likely be our take on most of the vehicles. Well, I have a listener question, too, and it's one of those pie-in-the-sky kind of questions. And... Uh, I'd love to hear your answer on it. If you could have any car in the world, the listener asks, which car would it be? Oh, <laughs> wow. So that's a tough one. There are so many great ones. We talk a lot about how hard it is to find an objectively bad vehicle because there are so few, uh, if any, out there. I think for me, I'm going to choose something that is uh, large enough to haul my family, but also... Uh, smart and fun enough uh, to get out and have some 
some uh, irresponsible times with. I'd probably choose an, an AMG sedan of some sort. Uh, I think that would be, or an M, a BMW M sedan. I think one of those would be great, great for my family and for me when I'm by myself on the rare occasion. Those are very sound choices and, and very rational choices. And at the same time, I like the fact that you, you're figuring into the the fun qu- uh, quotient into all that. I have a really different answer, but of course, I had the, uh, I had the ability to uh, mull over this question for a long time, and you didn't. I just sprung it on you. <laughs> but if I could have any car in the world, I would have one of the first cars that I ever bought, and a car that I still have, actually. So I guess I'm lucky in that that sense. It is a 1962 Corvette. And the reason I would have that, and the reason I do have that, is because that is the car, that Corvette, is the car that really made me fall in love with the car business and, and c- cars overall. I remember sitting in a study hall in seventh grade or something like that and going through a magazine and I saw a picture of a Corvette and I went, you know, that is a cool looking thing. Uh, wouldn't that be great to, to own one of those someday? And darned if, uh, you know, maybe 10 years later I didn't buy one and I've had it ever since. I've had that car since 1974. So, it has a lot of, uh, it speaks to me in a lot of ways that modern cars don't. Certainly, uh, there are scores, hundreds of modern cars that outperform it, do all kinds of things better than a 1962 Corvette. But uh, for its day, it was uh, pretty darn cool. Even when I owned it in 1974 and started driving it around, it was fairly, uh, fairly cool for somebody in their 20s to have that car. And you know, I still love it. So it's still the car of any car out there that I would have. You know, I love your choice, but I'm going to cry foul because I didn't realize we could go back in time. But now uh, I'm going to have to have some time to think about that. But that was a great choice, Jack. Well, thank you very much. And I did have the benefit of a lot of time and you didn't. So uh, there you go. Maybe we'll ask you that question again in an upcoming show and get your answer to that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of the dream car of any time, any place. Uh, we'll go back with that. And when we come back, we're going to be interviewing Jim Owens, who was driving a very cool car and who's telling us about a very cool car that uh, many people aspire to, and that is the 2021 Ford Mustang Mach 1, the return of the Mach 1 moniker. So stay with us for that. Our interview with Jim Owens is coming up. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Neeran, and we thank you so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack, you read back with you. And uh, we have a terrific guest for you. Jim Owens has been on the show before. Um, he is uh, responsible for uh, marketing on all things Mustang. And uh, thanks so much for being with us, number one, and in- inviting me to this event. We are so glad to have you here. And, you know, in our conversations before, you understand there is a love and a passion for Mustang that goes beyond just the business aspect. And when we can gather enthusiasts around and have a Mach 1 to drive, it's a fun day. Absolutely, it's a fun day. And it takes me way, way back. I have been coming to uh, this racetrack, Willow Springs Raceway, International Raceway, International Raceway, 
in Rosamond, California for about 30 <laughs> plus years. I was, uh, we did a lot of work here at, at Motor Trend when I was editor of Motor Trend. I spent a lot of windy afternoons in this place and we got another windy afternoon today, don't we? Yeah, that wind, uh, that comes up off the desert floor and that just adds a degree of fun to our drive out here. I like the, yeah, that's enthusiasm and I, I like that. And you're enthusiastic about Mustang too. And we're here to drive Mustang Mach 1. Of course, Mach 1 is a, a legendary Mustang designation. Take our listeners back in time in the Wayback Machine to talk about Mach 1. So Mach 1, if you think about it, you know, back in the day when Jaeger was breaking the sound barrier in Glamorous Glennis, and, you know, th those times were about pure speed. And the Mach 1 came up in the 69 era to try to do the pure speed aspect of it. You know, we had our race cars, you had the GT350, you had the beginnings of the Boss 302s to come out that were, you know, lateral. And this one was, you know, developed and eventually did break 295 land speed and durability records. Mickey Thompson back in the, you know, Bonneville Salt Flats. Um, but what that car really allowed people to do was personalize their choice in Mustang, not just the color or two plus two, but like actually choose your powertrain, choose your appearance package, choose your downforce on there um, that allowed, you know, Mustang to take that personal approach where you could make it your Mustang. And fast forward, you know, 2021 model year, you can do the same thing. And we get to experience here not only straight line, but then also on the road course. Well, and that's a big difference. Uh, you know, I drove on the road this morning and uh, it struck me that this is a car that will turn. <laughs> this is a car that is not afraid of corners. And I think that's a big difference between current Mustangs and the muscle cars of a couple decades or three or four decades ago. Right. Absolutely. And if you think about it, they were more purpose-built. Now the technology obviously gets better, right? It's like your oversized tennis rackets and, you, you know, Serena Williams can hit 130 mile an hour serve. As the technology gets better, it allows them, the engineering men and women, to put more of those things into the vehicle that make somebody like me, who's an average driver, be able to enjoy, appreciate safely that lateral stability. And it is highlighted, and obviously what we're talking to you, here today and you get to see on the track the pinnacle five liter performance mustang that we've done and that's what the mach 1 is uh, you know this 2021 ford mustang mach 1 is the pinnacle of, of v8 performance kind of old school in some ways but at the same time super new tech tell us uh, you know why it was decided to do a car like this at this time so, um, you know, we're in our sixth generation of Mustang, right? We came back out in 50 years and did Gen 6 in 2015, and we learned through the generations of the Mustang. So as we were developing the, you know, Bullet and the Performance Pack 2 and the Performance Pack 1 and the Shelby GT350 and GT500, you learn some of those technological advances. Um, you know, the Magnaride, right, it, which you know, is off the shelf. You put metal particles into viscous fluid and send a charge through them to change change the change the compression you learn and begin to learn how those are operating and then can better fine tune it for that performance so if you think from 15 to 21 those engineers you know like Mike Delzio and Nick Terzis and Barnes and those folks have spent a lot of time learning and refining it so now in the 2021 model year six model years after we you know did the 50 years it is the right time to put all of that technology together 
to make a car that has not only a historic and heritage name, but something forward-looking as well. You talked a bit about uh, allowing the uh, driver to customize the car, to order the car the way they want it, to get what they want it. Walk us through some of the specific pieces. Yeah, so if you think of a like uh, the Bullet, or even the Boss 302, right? The, the 50 years limited edition. Um, you could order it, but very limited choice of what you could put in there. Um, in Mach 1's history, you could order you know, the hood scoop that came in for $70 as a dealer installed option. You could order the side stripe kit off of it when you were in there. You could, you know, order the big block, right? Um, in this case, you can order, you know, if you're just into the performance aspect of it at all, you can order a 600A, which is cloth interior with the handling package so you don't have to pay for all of the leather and all the accoutrements. But if you want to have that as, you know, your premium car, plus the performance attributes, you can do that as well. Um, and the thing that we're really happy about is the automatic transmission in the handling package, which, you know, we Bullet was a manual transmission. GT350 was a manual transmission. Boss 2 was a manual transmission. All of the performance derivatives have had that manual, and now what the engineering team was capable of doing is putting that 10-hour transmission with all of the coolers so that it could go out there and do a full-on track day in automatic or manual. And... You know, as the generation, you know, that remembers this car fondly gets older, right? I'm, you know, I'm as old as the Mustang. There are times when I'd really like to have the automatic transmission there instead of the manual. Well, and there's a lot to be said about the performance advantages of an automatic transmission, right? I mean, yeah. th this is a, an amazing automatic transmission. I mean, we used to refer to automatics as slush boxes right back <laughs> in the day. Uh, yeah. They're so far from that now, and this is so sophisticated. Talk a bit about this transmission that transmission the automatic and then we could talk about them the manual because it's not your uh, grandfather's manual, manual either, either. Yeah. yeah so the automatic is the 10r that's in the standard mustang gt but what they've learned from a calibration standpoint is to put in three completely different calibrations for shift modes and shift points so again They've evolved what they've learned over the period of time from this transmission and now are capable of you have your normal, you have your sport shifting mode, and then you have your all track shifting mode. So that those modes and how they calibrate it downshifts it when it, when it wants you to. And then the other cool thing is it kind of adapts to your driving style. So if you are, you know, tipping in late after you come out of the apex there, it begins to learn that and be ready to shift at that point that you want. So that is really, you know, great learnings, but a great way for that automatic to help you improve your performance. Yeah, a lot of times the automatic is going to shift better than the average person is going to shift, right, and find the right gear and just be in a good spot. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of us thinking, you know, for when you go like the GT500 that we do with a dual clutch, so it's like an electronically controlled manual transmission, you know, that shifts in, you know, hundredths of a millisecond. Now, this 10R shifts pretty quick, but it still has torque converter and the clutch packs in there. So it's not the, the dual clutch, but it still knows what it wants to be um, when you, how do you say this? When you're running out of talent, <laughs> when you come through the turn, right, yeah. it'll get you into the point to have you be the best shot to doing well on the track. 
Let's talk a bit about manual transmission. In, in, in some ways, in the most sophisticated race cars, you don't have manual transmissions. There's certainly an old-style stick-operated manual <laughs> transmission, and yet enthusiasts seem to love manual trans, uh, transmissions. Talk a bit about them. Yeah, and, and that was one of the comments initially on the Shelby GT500 when we launched it, right? It only had the dual-clutch automatic, and the first thing they said was, okay, where's the third pedal? And once they understood that the track mapping was done for the shift points by Billy Johnson, who, you know, races the GT4 Mustangs, right, <laughs> and the Lamar cars, um, you know, it, you quickly learn that you, you, that it's smarter than you are. Um, on this manual transmission, it is the Tremec 3160 box. So it's the first time that we've put the Tremec box, manual transmission box, with the 5 liter. And it has rev matching. So when you're talking about the, finding the RPM, so when you downshift and you need to blip it up so you can match the speed of the output shaft to, the, to your rear axle, then that actually does it for you. So you don't have to go through there and do the heel toe and make sure you get to the right RPM. That alone, from a road course perspective, can help you be more consistent and feel confident and begin to push yourself more. So the third pedal is always going to be there with Mustang. I mean, it's part of what what it is. But as you're saying, the technology and the dual clutch transmission, like the the track box that's in the 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 Ford GT, is becoming technologically more advanced and shifts better. But there's a feeling of connection of you know pushing in the third pedal and grabbing it and pulling it down there that I don't think you can replace. Um, and a lot of our consumption customer really enjoys that. Yeah. Well, and the rev matching helps so many people <laughs> because a lot of people are a little ham-handed or w very ham-handed in, in heel towing and, and rev matching. On yeah, own, so right? Jokin, who's here today from the Ford Performance Racing School, um, he's given the hot laps at the end, and he's one of the instructors that has helped teach me. And, and, and he, he's probably sad that I'm admitting that right now. Um, but one of the things that he always used to yell at me is the heel toe when you have to roll over there. And, you know, if you blip it too hard, then you're doing more damage than if you hadn't done it at all. Um, that rev matching really makes a huge difference. Um, and then on one of the things that, from the instructor, um, the Boss 302 started the track attack program, right? Back when you purchased the vehicle, you could come out to Utah, to the Utah Motorsports Campus, run in our equipment with instructors and learn how to drive. We are doing the same thing with the Mach 1. So when you purchase the car, it comes with a day where you get to break in our equipment <laughs> and our tires at the, you know, the world famous. Much better. Uh, going much fast in somebody else's, else's car, car is so much better. <laughs> so much better. <laughs> um, so that is going to also be available for the, for the Mach 1 buyer so that they can learn how to use both the automatic and the manual on a road course and improve themselves. How many Mach 1 uh, buyers do you think are going to track their cars? So, you know, a, a lot of folks still drag race their cars, right? You go to the test and tune. You know, we were talking about Chicago, US 30 drag, drag strip. strip sure, yeah. Where the great ones, ones ride. Right? Sunday, can, Sunday, Sunday. Yeah, so, <laughs> exactly. Um, so a lot of the folks do that. We think that a lot of folks will do that. On the actual track, you know, going to track days, it's less than 7% of the population that will do it. Um, the manual transmission customer has more of a propensity to do it than the auto customer does, although we will have both cars available at the racing school. Um, we think once we expose them to the, the, you know, the, the confidence that it can inspire, 
that they will feel, you know, go to there and go on, you know, the basic day with their track buddies or a Mustang club and go in the beginner group and really enjoy it. We hope to grow that participation with the Mach 1. Well, and a lot of it, I think, is you know you can do it, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, you know the car has the capability, so you feel good about that. You feel good about owning this, even if you're never going to turn a wheel on a track. You like to have the feeling, yeah, I could do that, and that's been done with this car. That the that it can instill that confidence in you that if you wanted to do it, you could, and that's where we're really really comfortable with the engineering that went into this yeah. vehicle. Let's talk. Uh, one of the things that, that struck me during the walk around a little earlier today were the number of coolers. <laughs> you know, the number, uh, all the airflow, and you know, just all of that. Walk us through some of that and why that's important. So when you do a track day, um, so first, the, the combination, and Carl really explained it well, and uh, the combination of making it look fast standing still, making it fit for the engineering components that you need, and then to be able to have the airflow where you need it is, you know, like a three-dimensional Ouija board, right? You have to go in and find it. And they've done a really good job with that. Um, so what you really need for your track days to be able to do, you know, a 20-minute session, three times in the morning, three times in the afternoon. You need your tranny cool, you need your engine cool, you need your rear axle cool, and you need your brakes cool. And those were the cooling in the air ducts that, we, that Carl was showing you that have the cooling in there. Um, you know, things that we learned from the GT350 and 500. You put the, the rear undervalence in, you put up a little angle up there so it changes the airflow. It sucks the air in as you're driving to dump the air onto your torsion differential. And it's not a lot of, you know, whiz-bang mechanical flux capacitor stuff, but it's aero-designed that can help cool it. Uh, the air coming in um, on the passenger side to come in and cool the tranny and on the driver's side to come in and cool the uh, brakes on both sides and the, the, the engine allows that air to come in. The lower belly pan that we have that we've extended past the front wheel allows that to pull the downforce down. So they manage that air to do, you know, cut through the, the air properly, but then still cool the vehicle so that if you wanted to go out and do it at, you know, Route 66, right, and that they have out there, the Autobahn right. yeah, out sure. in Joliet, um, that you could go out there on a full 20-day or 20-minute session, three, four, five at times in the morning, three, four times in the afternoon, turn around, change the settings if you wanted to, and drive that car home. Tell our listeners why downforce, especially on the front end, is so important because it really is, and it is a car with really high high speed potential right so <laughs> down yeah they there. certified it at over 160 miles an hour both on the auto and the manual um so downforce um when when you start to drive at higher speeds and you get you know and a plane getting front lift is probably a good thing gets you up off the ground yeah yeah right? you fly yeah, right? uh, yeah you don't you want your car to fly though on a track that's not a good thing <laughs> right right so what you want to be able to do is aerodynamically hold it down to the ground to you know above and beyond the mechanical grip right so the air pressure holding down the tires mechanically are going to hold you there you know pilot sport cup twos or the four s's that are on this car the mechanical grip are there but you want to actually design it so that the air is pushing it down um, front and rear on a good center of balance so that as you're coming down there you feel stable at those high speeds and the engineering team has done a great job with the design team on this Mach 1. 
Are there other mechanical things that we you think we should talk about with the Mach 1? Um, th just the unique engine. Um, it came from the <laughs> bullet <laughs> motor. Heaven knows we didn't talk about the engine, yeah. right? Now so yeah. it, it's <laughs> different than the Mustang GT, yeah, right. and it's different than the GT350 or 500. Um, it is a 480 horsepower v8 version we learned from you know the base mustang which is 460 horsepower so it's a 20 horsepower increase and 420 foot pounds of torque um what we've been able to do is change the air mapping and the calibration in there to get the maximum amount of horsepower that we could out of that v8 um and and it's you know separate motor code so that, again when we talked earlier about the power of per personalization you're getting to choose a different engine than the standard mustang gt um so yeah that's the other component of it that we're really pleased yeah with. and uh, a pretty cool time you know certainly ford has committed to um turbocharging you know direct injection and a lot of but to go uh, in in some ways I, I almost want to say old school, but old school isn't quite <laughs> apropos because there's so many new pieces to it. But, you know, a, a V8, big torquey, naturally aspirated engine is, is something that's uh, kind of cool. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, the GT350 that had the flat plane crank, you know, made that such unique sound and 8,250 RPMs, it made unique music. The naturally aspirated Mach 1 engine, which is the 5 liter, it, it, that exhaust note is is guttural and visceral but it sounds completely uniquely different than its gt500 than even the mustang gt with the active exhaust you know four and a half inch exhaust tips that are perforated on the inside kind of makes a little bit of a symphony coming out of there yeah nice nice uh, a nice song to hear take us through the interior uh. So the interior on the cloth, you can get the normal cloth Mustang seats in the 600A, and then you can get the leather seating surfaces on the 700A. But then you can also take up the Recaro seats that will hold you laterally. So if you want the handling package and get the Recaro seats, you know, that holds you, you know, so you can hold the lateral Gs. Um, there's rear seat delete in the handling package okay, yeah. so that if you really wanted to take that weight out for the track and you didn't want people sitting in the back anymore, you can do rear seat delete. Um, we have the elite interior, which also includes like the B&O sound system. So if the exhaust note isn't the only musical note you want to play, you have the Bang & Olufsen system that is in there that really, you know, is... It's kind of funny. You know, we talk about how we design it out here on the track and all the engineers working on it. When we went up to the B&O sound system design, they have people whose ear is like a sommelier's tongue, right? right? You know, so they, they can hear pitches, and they'll take it and put the material in. They build like an inside of a Mustang with all the materials, and then they change the speaker locations to see where, like, literally premium sound. You know, I'm thinking of my old 8-track cassette, right? <laughs> the old it's the best tape. place to listen to music is in, in your car. I mean, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and, and it, it, the sound system that they designed that comes in the Elite package that you can get with the, uh, with the Bang & Olsen 12-speaker you know, system, but it's like... It, it was so much fun to learn how intense they are about the sound quality, you know, like Mike Delzio is about how the driving dynamics is going to come out of the apex of turn one here. Um, so those are some of the things that you can get in the interior. On the appearance package, um, they, we tie the orange color through. It's a little bit different. It's that uh, fighter jet gray um, that is only available on the appearance package, but then it has the orange edge on the stripe, the orange calipers, and then an orange spot across the middle of the leather seat to kind of tie that color together. 
Um, and you have a pretty healthy interior when you put all those things together. Perfect. Take me through pricing. So pricing. Um, you know, it starts at, you know, 50, just under 53000 um, And then you can take it all the way up to the mid-60s to the high-60s, depending on what you want. And again, it's, a, it's about, if you remember correctly, the old 5-liter LX. Right when you had the base with nothing in it that you could buy the V8 power with it. That's kind of what we have. We have the ability to buy just the performance aspect of it. But if you want to go out there with the 700A and the Alita package and the appearance package and the handling package, you know you can take it up to the high 60s for a, which isn't inexpensive. Well, there was a time when high 60s seemed like wow, that's stratospheric. But it sure is not stratospheric now in this era of high-performance cars, and right? it, And, yeah, and I'm not saying it's inexpensive, please. I'm not, but it still, one of our hallmarks is it's still a relative performance value. And when you're out there on the track today driving it or you're getting your hot lap, you could compare that favorably to cars priced substantially higher. So it's not inexpensive, but it's still a relative performance value. And that's what, you know, kind of what Henry was about, right? He wanted to put America on wheels. He wanted to, he wanted to make sure that every person could get on there, not just the, the wealthy. And it's kind of like the democratization of performance. And, and while it's, yeah, you can start in the 50s and go all the way to the 70s, high 60s. Um, that is still an unbelievable performance value for what you're getting out of that vehicle. Right. And when will it be in showrooms? And it is actually um, in showrooms starting right now. Um, the first one started coming off in January. The handling packages we can't sell until March. So those are starting to arrive in the dealership. Um, we produce the Mustang in Michigan. Um, it's a little cold in Michigan in the winter. Right. And those tires that have it, the, the, the PS2s, right, the Sport Cup 2s, um, under 40 degrees, they get a little stiff. And it's, so it's hard to put them on the rail car. It's hard to put them on the rollers. Um, so we don't produce the, the Pilot Sport Cup 2s from basically November till March. Oh, um, so those handling packages are now being built because actually in Michigan, the snow's gone. Um, so those are starting to be in the dealerships today. Well, terrific. Th Jim, thanks so much for being with us. We Always really fun. It. Thank you for having me. You know how much fun we like talking about this stuff. Yeah, and absolutely. Hopefully put a smile on your face today as you go out there on your hot lap. Always talking to you puts a smile on my face and driving the Mustang does too. So thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. That was our interview with Jim Owens, who is the Chief Marketing Officer on the Ford Mustang. Obviously excited about the all-new Mach 1 version. I was excited about it, too, and driving it at the uh, Willow Springs International Raceway in Rosamond, California. was a blast, uh, a big blast, and uh, I'm thankful to have had the opportunity to do that. I'm also thankful every week to have the opportunity to do this show with good friend Chris Teague. Thanks so much for being with us, Chris. You do just such a great job on the show. It's appreciated. Well, thank you for making me blush on a Thursday morning, but thank you, Jack, and thanks everyone for listening to our uh, rambling for the past 45 minutes or so. Uh, but if you like what you heard, uh, go ahead and hit like or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That will help us continue to grow and bring, hopefully, bring other people along for the ride with us. We'd love to have other people come along with us for the ride, and we're so happy that you're with us as a listener. Thanks thanks for being with us. Please check out my book if you have a chance, The GR Factor, Unleashing the Undeniable Power of the Golden Rule. 
Uh, it is available in bookstores around the country on Barnes and Noble, of course, and Amazon as well. So check that out if you would. And uh, again, our thanks to Chris Teague for being with us. Our thanks to Mercury Insurance for help helping sponsor this show. And most of all, thanks to you, the listener, for being with us. We really do appreciate uh, the chance to talk to you each week. So we appreciate that. And uh, join us again next week right here for another edition of America on the Road. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com.